Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Thank you for your grace in our lives. And Father, we pray today, God, that you would help us. God, that you would encourage us, instruct us in righteousness. God, as we open our hearts and our minds to your word, God, cause it to uh, find a place, God, where we can grow by it, God, that it would feed our soul. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just real quick, a couple, uh, couple brief announcements that uh, just to let you know. Uh, so tonight, we'll do tonight. Next week, we'll have our last class, and then that will be the, the uh, end of this class. And then the following week, Pastor Alex is going to do a three-week Bible study on grace. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Come and be a part of that. And then at the, at the beginning of September, Tom Frank is going to come in and he's going to do a four-week class on end times, eschatology. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of those and then we'll see where we go from there and see what God is doing. I have really, um, I've enjoyed this time. I've enjoyed putting this together. I've enjoyed teaching this to you. It's kind of a different feel than, than just doing a sermon. It's even kind of a different feel in, in preparation. Like I said in the first um, uh, lesson, I said it, 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 or I, maybe it was the second one, I said it's kind of stretching some muscles maybe that I hadn't stretched in a while. And I, I, I'm not sure why that is. I think that it's just because there's a little bit more maybe depth that we're taking and a little bit more uh, 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 attention to detail in that. So it's been really enjoyable for me, I hope, and I believe uh, from the comments that I've gotten from you, I think that it's been a blessing. And from the attendance, I think that you guys have enjoyed this. And so, you know, we really have come a long way, haven't we, in this study? I think we have... have, uh, really did a good job building the foundation. I think we have a solid foundation to really begin to build the rest of this study on. Now, I want you to remember something here, um, and I always want to make sure that we say this, is that our goal is always to make sure that we are following Scripture. Amen? We don't want this to be um, just something that is opinion-driven or simply experiential. Now, we understand opinion and experience and all of those things have their place, but they cannot, they should not, and they will not here ever take the place of Scripture. And so we need to, we need to pay attention to that Scripture. We need to look at it as God reveals it to us, see what He's talking about, see how it applies to our life. And so that's what we've been doing. Now, a couple things I want you to remember very quickly before we dive into tonight's lesson is that the essence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power. That's what this is all about. Jesus said, wait for power. Wait till you're endued with power. And then he says, you, you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon me, I, you'll be given power to become my witnesses. Amen. And so... This is all about having, the, having power and the equipping, if you will, the gifting to be able to carry out what God has called us to do. So when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are spiritually immersed in the Holy Spirit, empowered for His purposes, and we are given spiritual gifts to help us accomplish those purposes. 
Then, the, one of the things that we said, and it's very critical that we get this, is that the pattern of Scripture, the principle of first met, mention, and, and personal experience shows us that the primary evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Now, one of the things that we did say, and I believe that we should hold to this, is that even though all of those things are true, and even though that's in Scripture that's the way it is, we should never put God or the Holy Spirit in a box because He can do what He wants. And so from time to time, God has changed up things and done things a little bit differently. And so what we see, though, in Scripture is we see that the evidence of Scripture, the pattern of Scripture, then the principle of first mention and our experience is that when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they end up speaking in tongues. And that's that initial primary evidence. Does that all make sense? So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to move specifically into what is known as the vocal gifts, and they are as follows. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. So we're going to look at those three tonight, and to be honest with you, these are very common to those that get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Probably the most common is tongues, because that's the evidence. The other one that's very, very common is prophecy. The one that, the, of the three, the one that's maybe the less common is the interpretation of tongues, and we'll talk about that and how that relates as we go on. The, the problem, though, is, is oftentimes with this set of gifts, is this is often where things are misunderstood and abused, and there's a lot of confusion on both sides of the coin in this issue, and that's what we're going to kind of solve today. We're going to look at Scripture. I'm very excited about this because this is, this is where, for me, I've spent a lot of time studying this out. And so uh, we're going to solve the problem of the confusion. The fortunate thing for you and I is that we are given biblical understanding concerning the purpose and the function of these gifts very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14. That whole chapter, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 deals specifically with these three gifts. In fact, the first five verses deal with it in a way that's just mind-blowing when you see it. So let's read that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, in, that, in those five verses, everything you need to know about this, about the vocal gifts is found right there. Now, he, Paul goes to great lengths after it for the, the rest of, I think it goes to like 43 or 42 or something verses, and the rest of them are an effort to um, unpack what he has just 
said here. And as we begin to look at this in 1 Corinthians, we need to be careful because it can be difficult to understand. Sometimes we can kind of get lost in what Paul's trying to communicate, and it's easy to misunderstand. So let's take a few moments and just look at what Paul is saying in these five verses, because these five verses set the tone and the context for the rest of the chapter. That's one of the things that you need to know. In these five verses, Paul has summed up everything we need to know about the vocal gifts. All three vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, are mentioned in the first five verses. So let's look at verse number one. He says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Paul begins this whole chapter by reminding us that love is the climate in which the gifts are to be lived out. If you do a study and you study on spiritual gifts, you'll know that there are several books and several chapters that talk about it, but from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, this is the largest section of the Bible that deals with spiritual gifts, particularly the gifts that come through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he, he comes in, and he comes in in the, in the uh, first chapter, in chapter 12, and he tells us what the gifts are. Then he tells us in chapter 13, he tells us the climate. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because a lot of times, love can kind of get kicked out. And in chapter 1, or I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 13, he begins by talking about love. He says, if I have not love, yet I speak in the tongues of men and angels, he goes, I'm just a sounding brass. He says, somewhere along the line, everything I do in the midst of tongues, I have to do within the context of love. It's the whole point of the chapter. It's the whole thing. So he starts again and he says, look at, I want you to pursue love. And so what he's saying is, he says, I want you to seek after eagerly. I want you to endeavor to acquire and I want you to, to really pursue this love. I think it's important before we get into any comment on tongues that we understand that we need to be a people of love. Can you say amen? amen. In every way. This is, this is the context, and I think once again, it bears us talking about that, that what Jesus is saying through Paul here is I don't want you to function in these things without pursuing love. I want you to be in hot pursuit of that. Think about this. No one pursues anything by accident, do they? So this is a very deliberate thing that we must do. We deliberately pursue love. And then he tells us, now what I want you to do is once you are in pursuit of love, I want you to desire spiritual gifts. In the New American Standard Bible, it says desire earnestly. And the word desire means to be passionate, zealous, to be on fire. So Paul is choosing some words here, right? He's saying, I want you to pursue, I want you to be in hot pursuit of love, but I want you to be passionate, on fire, and zealous for spiritual gifts. And what he's doing is he's giving you and I a priority. He is teaching us what comes first and what comes second. He's teaching us the order of priority. So love is first. So a lot of times I think people kind of get 
maybe messed up in the gifts because they're not walking in love. And so what ends up happening is the gifts end up becoming more weapons than they do empowerment to do the work of God. And that's how the abuses come. So we need to always walk in love. And the priority is, number one, love. And then the second priority is that you desire, that you pursue and cultivate gifts. And again, this is evidence that spiritual gifts that come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit are for today. Amen? Think about that for a moment. Think about what some of the lessons we've talked about, whether is this really for today? Imagine Paul taking all this time, God taking all this time, three chapters in the Bible to discuss and give instruction, instruction in righteousness, discussing the priority, how it's to function in private life and in corporate life, all of those things, and only to have it pass away, only to have it shut down. He is not just talking to that church for that season. He is talking to you and I. Can you say amen? There is no mention of time frame here. It's not like God says, hey, look, guys, I want you to pay attention. You Corinthians, pay attention to this. But there's going to come a time when this passes away. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that there's a season for it to operate and then stop. But there is a strong urging that anyone that would read this letter, that they would desire spiritual gifts. And then what he does is he puts it in order. Love, he said, pursue love, desire gifts, but especially that you prophesy. So he's putting the priorities together. So he's communicating, he's setting the stage for how we are to function in these gifts. And we're going to talk more about this idea of prophecy here in, the, here in just a minute because I want to really bring some clarity, some things. So the next thing that I want you to see is that Paul is instructing the Corinthians in the use of tongues versus prophecy. Remember the Corinthian church, they had a wonderful explosion of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But things got a little out of control, and they had moved into an area where they were really operating more out of the flesh rather than the spirit. And so what was happening is there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of disorder. In fact, Paul even writes to them in chapter 3. He says, I want to speak to you as spiritual men, but I had to speak to you as carnal because you guys are kind of given to this carnal stuff. You're debating about who's, you know, who, who'd you get saved under, Apollos or a Paul or this one or that one. You're debating about all these different things and you got all this stuff going on. And in the gifts, you guys aren't even operating in them correctly. So this is the point of this letter, is, or at least this chapter, is to bring correction to the abuses that were taking place in this church. And he wanted things to be done decently, and in order. And things were not being done decently in order. And they had all kinds of problems. And it's evident from the instructions that Paul is giving them. Does that make sense? Okay, so in verses 2 through 5, and I want to read this, and I'm going to kind of unpack this with you. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. 
He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, in these verses, he's making it very clear, and he's making a very clear statement uh, of teaching us how to function in the gift of tongues, in the gift of prophecy. And he says, speaking in tongues is meant to be between you and God unless there is an interpreter. Are you hearing that? Because what does he say? He says, but he who speaks in tongues speaks to God. Because no one understands him. He speaks mysteries. And then even at the end, he says, he who prophesies is greater than he speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets. So speaking in tongues was meant to be a prayer language between us and God, unless there is an interpreter. And so speaking in tongues without an interpreter edifies you only, and it does not edify the church. So this is the whole thing. So the use of speaking in tongues, this exceptional gift, is not only for the individual, but it's for the church. But if I speak to the church, if I come to you, if I stand up here and I begin to speak in tongues, then I I need to have an interpreter. I need to actually, later on in Scripture, you'll find out that he says that you need to pray that you interpret. In other words, he says, I don't want you to throw the responsibility on somebody else to have the gift of interpretation. If you are going to come to the church and speak in tongues to the church, then you take the responsibility to ask God Do you have the interpretation. That's, that's how it's to function. But when you speak in tongues and you're just speaking in tongues in prayer... That's between you and God. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, this is where the confusion rests because many will say, they'll say, you can't speak in tongues at all in church. I've had people talk to me about that. They say, well, what about about in worship service? If you're worshiping God, are you speaking in tongues? You better have an interpreter. God, they say, if anybody's around, if anybody hears that, that's not what he said. What he said is, who's the audience? What he said is, who are you directing the conversation to? See, there's times when I'm worshiping God in English. Now, you may be standing there listening to me, and if you want to listen, that's your business, but I'm not talking to you. I'm not addressing you. Okay, so what the issue is, is so this is the thing. Who are we talking to? This is the issue. So if I'm speaking in tongues and I am just simply praying or worshiping, talking to God, then no interpreter is necessary because I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it as a public forum. Now, I may be in a public place in corporate worship where other people are worshiping and doing things, but I'm not addressing that corporate body. So therefore, no interpreter is necessary because I'm not addressing you. I'm talking to God. But if I come to you and address you, and I begin to speak in tongues, or if the, the congregation gets hot, quiet, and all of a sudden a message in tongues begins to go forth, then that one that's giving that message needs to pray uh, there is an interpreter. Otherwise, the only one that's edified is the one speaking it. And they may not even know what they're saying. Does that make sense? So we have to... We have to pay attention to that. I think that's where a lot of times things get, 
a little hinky. They get kind of uh, uh, turned upside down. We start putting rules into place and saying things that are not said in Scripture. So that's what I've always done. I've looked at that and said, now, wait a second. Who is the audience? Who is this being addressed to? So if I come into the place and I get baptized in the Holy Spirit and I'm standing in a, in a line and I've got my hands up and the Lord fills me with the Holy Spirit and I begin to speak in tongues, who am I talking to? I'm talking to the Lord. Now, I know that somebody may be standing around them or in front of them, but they are not addressing that person. No interpretation necessary. Now, if I've got your attention and I start going, who untied my bow tie? It's a joke, come on. Or who stole my Honda? <laughs> that's a joke out of the 80s. Man, that's so old. <clears throat> but if I do that and start speaking to you in tongues, then there needs to be the interpreter. Does that make sense? Now, I have been in services where somebody did, uh, they did pray or they did give a message in tongues and no interpreter was there or there was no interpretation given. So it's like, okay, well now what do you do? Well, you just move on quietly. You don't crucify the person that did it because who knows what's going on? Who knows if there is maybe a conflict or maybe somebody feels self-conscious or they're not confident in their own uh, ability yet or their own uh, uh, conviction of it yet. We don't know. And sometimes things do get a little bit hindered and so we just move on with that. We just say, okay, that was a message, and you know what, Lord, if you want us to have the interpretation, you'll give it to us. But we prayed that there would be one. And so we need to take responsibility for that. Does that make sense? Are there any questions thus far? I hope I haven't made that as clear as mud. I hope I've kind of explained that. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Well, that's a good question. His question was, is there interpreter here? The, the dilemma is, I honestly don't know. And the reason I don't know is because this, for us, is relatively new territory. Or it's relatively new being revisited. Okay, so there, uh, for, for whatever reason, there was a season where we didn't, we didn't talk about this or travel in this much. And so this is being reintroduced. And so, to be honest with you, I don't know at this point because I don't know the giftings of everybody else. The, the good news is, uh, I think it was Kelly. I don't even know if she's here today, but uh, are you here, Kelly? Way in the back. So I have the test. Kelly had asked for the test right here, and I have answer sheets, and I'll explain that at the end so that you can find out. Or at least, I, I don't know if this test is foolproof in the sense that, that it's going to be 100% accurate, but what it does is it gives you at least an idea of what could be there, and you are going to have to mine that out. The truth is, in any of this, we really need to be prayerful. In any of this, we, don't, we, we shouldn't be willy-nilly, we shouldn't be uh, flippant about it, we should really be prayerful about it because this is important and it's serious stuff. Can you say amen? You said you had another question. Well, that goes back to a lesson that 
the, the last four lessons. So in, the, in those last four lessons, one of the things that we talked about is we talked about the indwelling of the Spirit of God at the point of salvation. That when we get saved, the Spirit of God comes in, He's there, uh, He identifies Himself, He uh, does all kinds of different things in us. Uh, the, you know, He becomes that guarantee or the down payment, in, as the Bible would say, of, of better things to come and all of that. He, he becomes that and He's there. But then when Jesus talked about the baptism, he was talking to people that had already gotten saved and they had already received this. In fact, even Paul had talked to disciples in Acts chapter 19 and he says he come upon some disciples and he says, what baptism were you baptized with? And they said, John's baptism, meaning water. So these are guys that are actively studying the word of God. They're considered disciples. They're living for God. They've been baptized. And he says, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they go, we didn't even know there was one. We hadn't even heard anything about it. So one of the things that we taught about, and we do have the notes if you'd like to get them, um, or you can watch it online on YouTube. Okay, then there is a difference. So knowing that, then we move into the baptism. And what we talked about, I believe it was last week, is, uh, not last week, the week before, we talked about the evidence of the baptism. And one of the things that we said is that based on Scripture and experience and based on first mention and all of that, what we see biblically is that tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, has an evidence of tongues. However, we made the statement that not all the time or in some cases we have to be careful because there could be something else. But in general, based on Scripture, based on our evidence, based on what we see in the Scripture, tongues is the primary evidence. And, people, and so when you start studying and going through that, you begin to see that tongues accompanies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when you take that idea, yes, you could operate more in another gift. So once baptism has taken place, you could operate more in prophecy or word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And sometimes that may be the evidence. So I think it's dangerous that we just limit God and say the only thing you can do is you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. I, I, think that, I think that gets a little dangerous. And so I think we have to have good discernment, you know, which that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. We, we need to pay attention to that. So to answer your question, yes, you could prophesy and yes, you could have those gifts, possibly without speaking in tongues. It is my personal belief system that you will either eventually speak in tongues or there'll be something that will take you into that kind of arena because I, I, that's what we just see in Scripture. We see that all the time. Does that, did that make sense? Okay. All the way there in the back. Yes.
Right. And it kind of, you know, it covers for it, but it's not exactly what was planned right. by God. Right. Yeah. So, so it works and, you know. Yes. And so for the rest of you and then online, because we didn't have the microphone out, we got the microphone now. But basically what she was saying is she was saying is that she has those three gifts. She's, pro- she's spoken tongues, she's ter- interpreted, and she's prophesied. And she was saying that when we do speak in tongues, especially if we're in a setting like this, so if a message is coming from you that's going to be addressed or you're addressing a congregation, then we need to take the responsibility. Now, I, I will tell you that now this, I'm going to tell you what I do. Now, I cannot tell, I can't take you to Scripture and say, this is the scripture that will tell you this is right. There's only been in the 43 or so years that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I, I think there's only been two times that I've ever had the interpretation of tongues. But there's been a lot of times where I have had prophetic words, where they've been prophetic in nature, and we're going to talk more about that and then, like, next week, we're going to talk about, like, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And so sometimes, and I know this is going to sound maybe a little uh, cheap, but just hear what I'm saying. So sometimes it's kind of we skip the middleman, so to speak, and dispense with the tongues for the moment and just get right to the message. You see what I'm saying? I, that's not to belittle or to take away from, but even Paul in this is saying, look at. In, in, there's, in fact, there's one verse that he says, I would rather speak, uh, I would rather speak five words in, an, in the known language that can be understood than 10,000 words in tongues. It, but he's talking about it in the context of addressing the church because he wants the people to understand. And so sometimes what happens with me is, like, I, was, this happens a lot with me, like when I'm praying uh, for people. I'll be praying, and during that time of prayer, I'll actually be praying in tongues. Once again, I'm not talking to the individual. I'm talking to God about the individual. So stay out of it. <laughs> okay. But then what will happen is that I will start, I will come and I'll start praying for that individual. But the prayer, I will notice, will become prophetic in nature. And, and so while, I'll, while I say I've not had the interpretation, there's only been two times in my life that I could say I had a direct interpretation. I do believe what's happening in that prayer is there probably is some level of interpretation going on because now the prayer is in English rather than in tongues. And so the, that, that's happening. I think sometimes what we have to do, and I think this is where the balance is, you can get really religious and, and, and all about the rules to where you take the life and the spirit right out of it and nothing happens. Or you can get so flagrant and so flippant that it just becomes a free-for-all. I think what we have to do is come back to the middle and, and say, look it, I have a responsibility here. And so I need to understand that when I'm speaking in tongues, if I'm doing that in prayer, that's between me and God. But if I'm doing that even with an individual, like in counseling, I've had that where we pray and there'll be a time. And, and so a lot of times I won't necessarily speak in tongues if it's just the two of us unless I feel. But there's always seems to be that corresponding moment of prayer that becomes a little prophetic. So that could be an interpretation. 
And so that's, that's how I deal with that. Yes, sir. Hang on one second. Let him come with the microphone so online they can hear you. Well, they, online they will. <laughs> Trust me. Look, I'm 64 years old. I've been in many different churches. I'm kind of a nomad. I travel all over the country. Um, this is the most I've ever heard about tongues, ever. I've never heard anybody speak in tongues. I've never heard a message about <coughs> tongues. I've never really, I, I can't remember that I've ever read that much about it. I don't speak in tongues. Does that mean I'm not saved or born no, again? absolutely not. You, uh, the, and this is, this is where, once again, I, I, you're kind of, unfortunately, you're kind of coming in on the fifth class. And so, again, like I said, we addressed a lot of that because we believe, absolutely, Scripture points out, and we can take you to Scripture that points this out, is that at the point of salvation, Jesus dwells in our heart by his Spirit. And so, and so there is a, a spiritual, salvation is spiritual, okay, and Holy Spirit Jesus and the Father are all there. They're all present. They're there. This is the key. When it's, it's, it's kind of like this. The, the elementary statement is it's one thing to have water in the glass. It's another thing to have the glass in the water. So, so the spirit at salvation is in us. Okay? And, it, and so what happens is the Bible says at salvation, the spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Then Jesus says, and then uh, uh, John the Baptist prophesied, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Two different mediums. So in other words, at salvation, I'm baptized, I'm immersed into the body. And at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm immersed into the Holy Spirit. The evidence of that salvation is a changed life, is redemption, I'm changing, growing. The fruits of my life are changing. That's where the fruit of the Spirit begins to come in. I'm absolutely saved. Uh, uh, somebody that's baptized in the Holy Spirit and somebody that's not, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not better than the one that's, that's not. It's not about being better. Even though, like in the scripture we read, he made the statement, he goes, uh, uh, the guy that uh, prophesies is greater than the guy that speaks in tongues. He's not talking about greater in the, in the sense of importance. He's talking about it in terms of what's edifying the church. So if I'm the only one, so we got maybe 100 people in here. If I'm the only one edified, I've had a good night, but you all haven't. So it would be better, it's better that we all have a good night rather than just me. And so that's kind of, so he's saying, look at in context of that. So it doesn't have baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that has to do with salvation in except that it comes after salvation. Can't be baptized in the Holy Spirit prior to salvation. Does, does that make sense? Okay. One more and then I got to move on. One more question if you got it. Now you need to move on. Yes, ma'am. He's coming with the mic right now. What is the protocol for if you believe you've received a word of knowledge? Do you have a protocol? Some churches do. Yes. Right. Well, that's a, that is a wonderful question. And, 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 <laughs> and I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. What, if you received, if anybody here received a word of knowledge, it would be my hope 
that what you would do is, so if you have a word of knowledge, and we'll talk about that next week, but if you had that, that you would come to me or one of the other pastors and that you would share that with us so that we can test it. The Bible tells us to prove all things, to test all things. Okay, and so it's not that we, it's, it's, it's that because we are responsible for the whole, that, that we are responsible for what God's doing and, and all of that. We just want to make sure that we have done our due diligence. And so I do know churches, there's a lot of churches that have lots of protocols. They have a lot of uh, uh, um, uh, systems in place, and, and they've made that known. So like I said, one of the things I will say is because this is somewhat renewing territory for us that we had before, we are, we're kind of coming into this, so it's, it's hard to know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And so it's like, do you put all the protocols in place first, or do you teach the people? And so, so my effort is I'm diving in, starting, and hope for the best. <laughs> so it's like, well, we probably ought to have a protocol. And let me say this, and because I'm, I'm actually going to talk about this right at the end of the class here. We really don't got much more to go, and I know some of you that are like, my God, we got to get through this. We're not that far from being done. So, Uh, but at the end, I do talk a little bit about this. One of the things that you have to understand is that there is, and I don't know how to say this without sounding like I'm being flippant because I'm not, but there is a certain level of experimentation here. Okay, and what I mean by that, what I mean by that is we are all learning and growing. Okay, and so sometimes we're going to get it wrong. We're not perfect. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, you know, put emphasis on something, and, and you know what God's going to do? He's going to come in and go, hey, that ain't right. And we're going to have to back up and correct it. And, and we will. We'll back up and correct it. We'll, we'll do our due diligence to fix that. So there is a little bit of, and I guess probably, when I, probably a better way to say it is rather than saying uh, experimentation is maybe more a little trial and error. We're going to have to learn, have a little on-the-job learning here. And so, because this is somewhat new territory for everybody. Does that make sense? And so I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. So here's the question, and, and that I, I posed a question here. So what does it mean to speak in tongues? Speaking in tongues is speaking... This is the definition I came up with. Speaking in tongues is speaking supernaturally in a known or unknown language that you do not have the knowledge or the possession of that knowledge to speak on your own. So in other words, if you're, if you're speaking in English and you go, oh, I'm speaking in tongues, no, you're not. You're speaking in English. It is a tongue. But if you were Russian and didn't know English, now we're talking about supernatural. Okay. <laughs> So if you're speaking in Russian and you don't know Russian, then that's tongues. Um, so the, the, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 13.1. It says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding breast and a clanging cymbal. The thing I wanted you to see there is he notates the tongues of men and angels. The indication from this verse is that there is both hu- human and divine language. Okay, so... There are times I, I, I have seen and have witnessed people um, that it wasn't even, didn't even sound like a language. It sounded more like an utterance, um, uh, but it was so powerful and there was a definite anointing on it and there was a definite um, um, uh, um, response from it. And so uh, that really is something that just comes from, 
from heaven. In fact, the Bible talks about that there was a sound from heaven on the day of Pentecost. And it sounded like a rushing mighty wind. Okay, so it was a sound from heaven. Now, the interesting thing is, is that people all over the city heard the sound. They didn't just hear people speaking in tongues. They heard the sound from heaven. And so you have to kind of meditate on that a little bit. That's a pretty good thing. So some call this a prayer language. Others call it a heavenly language. The point is, it is a language that is spoken for the purpose of prayer, worship, and prophecy. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They were filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so, what is speaking in tongues? It is a supernatural ability that is being given to you by Holy Spirit. He is the one giving you the utterance. You're speaking, your mouth, your tongue, you're forming the whatever words, syllables, and come in that. But he is giving you the ability to do that. Does that make sense? So let's take a few minutes and just look at real quick the benefit of speaking in tongues. The Bible teaches us that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and that speaking in tongues becomes this primary evidence. So what I want you to get out of this, and I put a lot of information there, and I'm probably going to breeze through this because we've talked somewhat about this a couple times already, is that one of the benefits of speaking in tongues, it is an identification that the Holy Spirit is in fact there. Okay, that you have been baptized with him. That's a benefit. Paul encouraged the Corinthian Christians to continue the practice of speaking with other tongues in their worship. That he that not only was this for uh, uh, you know to speak and give messages of prophecy that would be interpreted, but this was going to become a part of their worship service. He also encouraged them to speak in tongues in individual prayer life. That means to have spiritual edification and building yourself up. In 1 Corinthians 14, 4, it says, He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. How many know that getting edified is a good thing? Now, Paul only puts the comparison is if you are in church and addressing the church, it's better that you prophesy because then everyone's edified. But if you're in your prayer room or you're or you're in your seat worshiping God, then that moment is between you and God. Then he goes on in the Amplified Bible, he says this, he said, uh, in, in, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. So there is a partnership between the Holy Spirit and your spirit. Okay, and then in the Amplified Version, it says, my, uh, it says this, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. Do you, do you see that partnership? So God is a spirit, and when you pray in tongues, your spirit is in direct contact or in direct connection with God. When you are speaking in tongues, you are talking to him by divine supernatural means. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So in this process of speaking in tongues and, and, and praying, there is actually a part of God, there is a, a dynamic between you and God that's praying the perfect will of God. Okay? Speaking with other tongues is praying as the Spirit gives utterance. It, it's Spirit-directed praying when we don't know what to pray for. Have you ever had that moment when you've like, I don't even know what to say to you, God. I don't even know what to pray for. This circumstance is beyond my ability, and I don't even know what to say. So uh, let me just take a detour just for a moment. In my prayer life, as many of you know, as I've been kind of on a prayer journey, going through all kinds of different things. So recently, it's changed a little bit. So what I've been doing is I come into the prayer room and I take about 10 minutes and I put a little bit of worship music on quietly in the background and I sit quietly for about 10 minutes. And I put my mind on God and I just begin to, it's not, it's not an emptying, that's Eastern religion. It's filling my mind with God. I'm not emptying my mind, I'm filling it with Him. So I begin to think about him. I think about a verse or I think about something he's done for me or some uh, prayer that's been answered and I begin to just kind of focus on God. Then I take about 20 to 30 minutes and I pray in tongues. I don't say any English word. I just pray in tongues. And in my mind, because there is a scripture that says when you pray in tongues, your mind is idle. So what I do is, and this is hard, takes discipline because your mind you can go i it's after a while there are buzzwords you could go you could go on autopilot robo bo 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 you know just do that kind of thing and you just go and your mind is thinking about all kinds of stuff so what i try to do is in that moment i try to keep my focus that i established in the first 10 minutes even at times what i'll think about is particular prayers i'll think about particular people that I'm believing God for and contending for. And it is my belief that in that moment as I am meditating on that, meditating on that situation, that Holy Spirit is praying the perfect will of God for that. And so then I do that for about 20 to 30 minutes depending on what the day is, and then I pray in English. Then I'll take the rest of my hour and I'll pray in English and quote scripture and do declarations and all kinds of things like that. And I have found that it's becoming very rich. What I'm finding is while there is not a lot of immediate uh, encounter, in other words, I don't have, you know, sky's not opening up, Jesus isn't walking in the room, you know, I don't hear an audible voice. But what I'm finding is all through the day, I'm having impressions of Scripture and Revelation that are like, whoa, or I see something and God will just kind of download. Has God ever downloaded like a seed into you? And then by the end of the day, it's this whole big, it's like, whoa, that grew quick. You know, and I have those moments and I'm having those moments much more frequently. And I believe it's in direct proportion to the fact that I'm contending in the spirit. Does that make sense? Okay, so spirit-directed praying, according to P.C. Nelson, who was a... Greek scholar, the verse in Romans that reads, the Spirit himself makes intercession with, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, literally could read out of the Greek, 
The Spirit makes intercession for us in groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. In other words, you couldn't say it or you don't know how to say it because it's not your regular language. Okay? Number three, speaking in tongues builds up our faith. In the book of Jude, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now we're going to move on. So tongues directed to, uh, to a, a church or to an individual. We've, we've said many times, but I want to show you this. I want to take the time to read this very quickly, quickly and we'll get through this. Uh, must be interpreted. Now, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 14, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if, now what's interesting is that in the King James and the New King James, it actually uses the word now. It says now, and that word is a transition word means now that we have established that. What did we establish? We established that tongues to God is between you and God. Tongues to a church or to a group or to a person, another person needs to be interpreted. If prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. So that was established. Then he goes on. He goes, dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler does not sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It is the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking, to, talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand the language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So what he's doing, and I'll finish the last bit here, he is taking the time to emphasize once again the priority. Remember, that's why we started with verse 1. All of this has got to be done in the context of love, about building others up. That's what the gifts are for, is to build up others, to do the work of the Lord. He said, if you, the, the great thing is, God never muzzles the ox that's treading out the corn. So in other words, you can enjoy the benefit of the gift, tongues in this case, for yourself, that it's edification between you and God, but it wasn't just given to you for you, it was given to you for the church. Okay, and so now he's saying, if I come to you and I speak in that tongue, and I look at you and I tell you all these fancy things in a language you don't understand, it's meaningless. You're, we're like foreigners, and my, I might as well be Russian, you might as well be Chinese. And we're not going to understand each other, and we're going to be frustrated. And he goes, but, he says, if you'll do this, if you'll seek this out, he goes, so anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. And here's where we were in the beginning, that you have a responsibility. So if the message is coming to you in tongues, Pray that you interpret. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. And once again, this is kind of a, a, a rehash of some of the things. This is a very hard subject to keep in order. 
I found writing this out. Three days I've been writing this, and it, I've changed it 18 times, trying to keep an order. It's just very hard. Again, the key to all of this is you've got to ask yourself, who am I talking to? If I'm praying and addressing God, no interpreter necessary. If I'm talking to someone else or a group, it must be interpreted. So now, let's, we're almost done. Now, let's go back to our text in verse 3, and then we're going to look at verse 18 and 19, and then verse 39. Verse 3 says, but he who prophesies, so now we've talked about tongues and interpretation, but he who prophesies speaks edification or encouragement, exhortation, or that's kind of like a challenge to come up. It's a, it's a challenge to do more or to rise to the occasion or, uh, or comfort to men. So prophecy by nature. Now, one thing we are not talking about is the office of prophet. The office of prophet, they have specific duties. They preach the word. They bring they do bring all of these things, but the prophet will also bring a message from God that will bring correction. In this context, no correction. You go, what? What? Yeah, see, everybody likes Old Testament prophecy because it makes us feel important. Because it makes us feel like, ooh, I'm Elijah or Elisha or Jeremiah. You wouldn't want to be Jeremiah or one uh, or. Isaiah or whoever, and it's like, oh, I got a word from God's going to slam all of you. <sighs> that is not what this is talking about. He says it should be for encouragement, exhortation, which is basically like what a coach does. He comes along somebody that's down. He says, man, you can do it. Come on, you can run again. Don't, don't stop. Don't quit. Keep going. That's exhortation. And then, of course, comfort. And so those words can come to us they can actually even come to us through other gifts that are working like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discernment. So sometimes that prophecy, that prophecy gift can be linked to another gift like word of wisdom, word of knowledge, or discernment. And we can prophesy. He even says that if you go back all the way back and you look at our text, he says, if I come to you with revelation or if I come to you with knowledge or if I come to you with wisdom, some message when he's talking about prophesy. He says it's only effective when you can understand it. Does that make sense? Now he goes on and he says uh, in verse 18 and 19, he says, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also that rather than ten words in the t with tongues. Why? Once again, this is, he's not shutting down. See, a lot of people use chapter 14 is to shut down tongues. He's not shutting it down. What he's doing is saying it's got to be in its right place. Tongues, when it's your prayer, in your prayer life, that's fine. That's for you. And it can be done in a group. Just like I can worship in a group. If I'm worshiping in a group, mind your own business. That's between me and God. Now, if you want to listen... Listen on, but that's between me and God, okay? But if I'm going to address you, then I need to do it with the interpreter or I need to prophesy. Verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Why? Because it edifies the whole church. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. I don't know how much clearer we can get than that. 
Don't forbid to speak with tongues. There is no timeline on it. So in closing, I'm going to bring this to a close. So two things I want to show you as we bring this to a close. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, he says, what is the the conclusion then? He says, this is it. He goes, I'm going to sum it up again. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with understanding. He's saying, look, I'm not shutting anything down. I'm just going to know who I'm talking to, what is my priority, and the proper place. Does that make sense? Then the last thing, this is where I want to close with this, and then we'll take a couple questions and we'll be out of here. I want you to notice this verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, because this is going back to this thing about experience and about on-the-job learning. So in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, it's an interesting portion of Scripture. He says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So he's showing us who is a baby. So somebody that's unskilled in the word and only desires the milk of the word is considered a baby in Christ. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Notice the wording. That is, comma, that is, comma. What is he saying? Those who are of full age or those that are mature, they are those who by reason, now pay attention to this, reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, the thing that I find interesting is discernment, which that describes what discernment is, is discerning between good and evil. Discernment is a spiritual gift. It seems to me that maturity in whatever endeavor you may have are people that are practiced. In other words, they haven't been flippant. They're not just running around just doing anything willy-nilly. They're following the rules. They get into Scripture. They're prayerful. They're seeking God. They're following the leading. But they are stepping out and taking a risk. That tends to freak out people. Say, why does that? It's like, well, you ought to just have it. You know, everybody that I've ever talked to ever never just had it in the beginning. Oh, they had it, but they weren't good at it. Okay, they, they, they knew. I, there was times when I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought I had a word. I think it was, I, I think I remember a time. I was talking to a, what appeared to be a couple about their marriage and that God was going to heal their marriage. But they were brother and sister. shot the arrow and missed say what did you do I went wow I missed I'm sorry I blew it my bad I, that, please forgive me I thought I had the mind of God I didn't and it bothered me and so what I had to do is I had to go back to the drawing board and say okay God I need to be a little bit more careful then there's been times where, where I thought I missed. I, I've walked up to people and given a word, and, I thought, and they kind of just looked at me like, <laughs> and it's like, I missed that. I missed that by a million miles. And I even asked them, does that make any sense? Not really. 
okay. And then have service end. I know Harry can attest to this. Have service end and then have them come up to me privately and go, you hit it right on the nail. And what it was is you're dealing with somebody else's insecurity. And so sometimes the purpose of the practice is we got to get through all of this humanity. Does that make sense? I'm not talking about being willy-nilly. I'm talking about being practiced. I'm talking about taking it serious. Does that make sense? Okay, really quick, because we're at 801. A couple questions. Anybody? Yes, ma'am, right here. Jason, right up front. Wait, wait till he gets with the mic. So wait for the mic. It's not a question. It's really a statement. Anytime that you have the gift, whether it's discernment or tongues or whatever, it's a step of faith that you use or exercise to step out in it. Absolutely. You've got to have the faith. Yes. And then you step out in faith like Peter stepped out of the boat. And that's where a lot of people are hesitant. Yes. Because they don't know, do I have the faith for this? Or they don't realize they have to have a step of faith to do it. Yep. You know? And so that's where some of them tripped up. But it's just like salvation. It's a, take, uh, it's a step of faith. Absolutely. Belief in Christ. Belief in the Word. So as you take, as you get a Word or you get a, a, a leading of the Spirit within your heart, you, by, by faith, you step out and say, I have a Word. Yes. You know, you believe in the Word that you're receiving. Yes. And if it's based on love, like you said, if it's based on the Word of God, it's okay. Yep. Absolutely. And actually, walking in faith takes a little bit of practice. Real quick, very quickly, because i got to do one more thing, and I want to get you out of here. Going once. Oh, right there, Carol. When will we learn the protocol? <laughs> when I get it finished. <laughs> not sure what that's going to be yet. But I, I, I promise, Carol, you'll be the first one I email. How's that? <laughs> that's good. I, you know, it, it, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to go down this road. So, okay, so real quick, I have these tests. Um, what I wanted to do is there's three piles here. One pile, this first pile, is the directions, but I'm going to explain it to you. The second pile is the test itself. And then the third pile is the answer sheet with the corresponding answers. Okay, and so, um, I don't, why, why is there so many on there? Oh, because I got two. All right, so the way this works is you're going to notice on here, I'm going to try to show you real quick. It says, I know you can't see it, so you just got to have faith that I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I should have put it up on the screen, but I didn't. Okay, so you have page one, page two, page three, page four. So each page is numbered, so you're going to go down the questions, down like this. So page one goes down, goes down. And each question is going to say like this. Here's like the question number one. I feel empowered to stand alone for Christ in a hostile, unbelieving environment. Now, if that is like not you, like no way, that's a zero. And if that thrills you, if you're like, I want to go to downtown Iran and stand up and preach on the street, then you're probably a five, okay? So you put zero there, and then so you got zero, one, two, three, four, five. Does that make sense? So each page has its own column, and you go down it. Then when you, when you get done, there's seven pages, you will take the numbers that go across horizontally, 
and you'll add them up and you'll put your total right there. Then what will happen is you will find that there will be some that are higher than others. Whatever one is your highest, so they like, in this particular test, they like you to look at your top five, okay? And I'll, I can explain more about that next week. But you take and you look at that, and then there is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it goes all the way down, and then there is the corresponding gift, A, B, C. If we put that there in that column, there are people that would pre-design their gift. They go, ooh, I want to be that, so I got fives all the way across. So we kind of want to be a little bit secret. Does that make sense? Now, I do only have a limited number of these because my... Uh, my uh, uh, printer started acting up. I think there's 50 in here. So what I would ask to you to do is if you're a couple, because you could do this on another piece of paper as long as you got this, that you would share. If for some reason you don't get one this week, I'm going to print up some more for next week and you can get them and then we can explain it. The other thing that we're going to do, and I'm going to try to do this next week, is I'm going to try to pray for any of you not try to pray. I am going to pray. I won't. Usually the word try. It's like I'll fall off the platform. Well, he tried. <laughs> Sometimes it's just goofy. Anyway, uh, we're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're here and you say, man, I, I don't know. I don't either know I've been baptized or I know I've never been baptized. Then we want to pray for you. And we just want to believe God with you. And we're going to step out in faith. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. So next week, the class hopefully will be a little shorter. Okay? Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together. And Lord, we appreciate your word and we thank you, God, for your goodness. And Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would bless these people. Father, get, continue to give us wisdom and insight. And Father, we pray that on this journey of moving into the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism, Father, that you would lead us because, Lord, we want to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day, great night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.